Today's guest is William Burnett. William considers himself a breathwork artist. I consider him a family man and a dear friend. William has an incredible mission which he shares with us today and which he is sharing with the entire world and veteran community of which he is a part of. His mission, Project Light, aims to support veterans who are transitioning from military life and helping them with employment, with mental health, and overall support through healing practices that he's discovered through his holistic journey. Project Light is an incredible undertaking that William is vowing to and committed to. He will be running on foot from Margaret River to Byron Bay. And if you're familiar with the geography of Australia, that is the westernmost point of Australia to about the easternmost point. The distance about 4,400 kilometers. William trains so he can be of service to others. He has been an incredible mentor of mine and I'm really happy to say he's been a, a friend, somebody who I love and cherish dearly. William is spending his time currently traveling in the US, sharing his mission, sharing his gifts and his tools that he's learned with his company Inflow, which combines the magic of breath work with the magic of music and helps people to heal their trauma physically, emotionally, mentally with these tools. We talk about all things related to his journey in the military, his lifestyle that he lives and enjoys, and his mission as well. I'm very excited to be sharing this with you. And William and I will be hosting an event together this coming May in New England. Details of that will be announced. And you can find all of the links for his Project Light in the show notes, as well as a GoFundMe page to support him and links for his social media as well. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Please welcome to the show, William Burnett.
you said, you said to me um, something about breaking the stigma of breath work as a surface level practice. Mm-hmm. And before we get into that, what I'd like to hear what, where you started with breath work and then how that's gotten deeper over time to where you, you be, you've become so interested in it. So it started like when I, when I started diving into this, what I would refer to as the surface level practice of breath work, I was, I was implementing some, um, some of the practices I'd, I'd watched from Brian McKenzie on Instagram. And I was like following up on some of the Wim Hof stuff, watching YouTube, putting in that practice. And I was, I was highly driven to, to understand human consciousness and how, and how I can manipulate my regular, uh, my ner- or regulate my nervous system in order to elicit a different state of consciousness. And I found that the faster and deeper that I would breathe, the more I would get into those states, those non-ordinary states. And, and so from utilizing those base levels from Brian McKenzie and from, from Wim Hof, and there was some from um, Stig Severinsen, who's a, an international free diver, holds the record for the longest breath hold. I was like, starting to take things my own way. Like I was feeling, I was feeling confident in being able to explore the different parameters of how deep you can take breath, what characteristics you can add, um, what kind of state changes you could, you could get uh, as a, as a response of implementing these protocols. And then something magical happened. My, my body started responding in a way that it hadn't in quite some time. You know, I'd been impacted physically and, and mentally uh, my time in the service. Um, I was struggling in identity shifting with being a father. And when I, when I was progressively getting more confident and starting to bring breath work in um, a lot more regularly and consistently, those things felt less of an impact. And it was like this one day something switched and I was like, hang on a minute. I'm not, I'm not as irritable as I, as I have been. Or I was like, oh, wow. Like I feel really replenished after my sleep last night. I don't feel the need to eat because of like a, a hunger pattern or anything like this. And so in that moment of noticing how my, my physiology was changing, the only thing I could find in, in, in my practices that I was doing that was different was this breathwork thing. And so I kept pulling on that thread. I kept like going deeper, listening to more podcasts, reading more books, uh, looking for more practices across the world and like finding new coaches to be able to facilitate said practice and education. And finding that data or at least stumbling upon this data really shifted my perspective like my body was like completely in tune with what it should be what it should have and has been for so long and and it just felt amazing and so yeah I progressively 
picked up more and more um, opportunities to learn more about it. I would apply different practices. It was about a three-year period this occurred, mm. right? And at the end of that three years, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to really take this to the next level. I'm going to, I'm going to like take a step out of my life, take a step out of that nine to five ideology that I had out of my habits, out of my lifestyle and try something new and explore this new thing. And the first five clients, maybe five workshops that I did, I, I knew I was like, Oh, this is it. This is, this is the thing I want to be doing. And what people knew about breathwork when they were arriving to be coached by myself or arrive at the workshops that I was facilitating, what they knew about breathwork, breathwork was so surface level. Like I had um, water people, so like surfers. I had um, outriggers, stand-up paddleboarders, swimmers. Um, I had uh, some therapists, some practitioners of all different holistic health environments arriving and they would like utilize breath to stabilize trunk and core movement or they utilize breath through yoga or they utilize breath as a way to avoid stress in the aquatic environment and so it was super surface level even though that those subjects have depth mm. yes it was surface level for me and and so what i was what i was starting to facilitate was uh, this idea of when we breathe in a certain way, which is what I would call applied conscious breath work, we breathe in a certain way to elicit a different response or a response. We get to unlock those non-ordinary states so we can start to take a look at the archiving system. You imagine, like, have you ever seen the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, yeah of course. Right. And in, in this dream that he relies on, he's a dream thief. And in this dream that he relies on in his archiving, um, the director, producer, story writer uh, has metaphorically described how going down on an elevator to get to the bottom floor mm. where this, this him remains, where this memory that has conditioned his whole life remains. And it takes an elevator to get down into the depths and the darkness to get to to the access to this information or this specific event. Uh, and you see in the movie, the, the doors open and he steps into the room and interacts with his dream. Uh, this is the non-ordinary state that I was finding myself in. And this is the non-ordinary state that I was inviting my clients to start to explore. And that unleashes and triggers like a series of events that requires a whole lot of integration, a whole lot of coaching there on after but dramatically shifts and changes people's lives for the better. Um, that being said, there, there are obviously, there's obviously a lot of work that goes into doing shadow work or working in the darkness um, of our archiving system. And so uh, it is highly suggested and highly encouraged that you find a trained professional in order to explore that. Um, hmm. So yeah, that, that was the space of breath work and, and unpacking it to make it digestible for mm. everybody to participate in. Yeah. And there's a lot there and, and it's really cool that um, you'd started coaching clients um, who I like he said water people. That's funny. Um, you, uh, <laughs> they, they already had what you, what you would consider a surface level um, breath practice. And, and um, you know, I've, I've done a ton of, I guess you could call it breath work over the years, um, and 
never thought about that, like that type of breath work as surface level, because, well, for someone who's well-practiced, it's, um, there's, we know that there's depth to this and the state change that it can elicit is, is incredible. But, um, but for the people that are utilizing those tools to like trunk stabilization and, and increasing your breath hold, like those things are really valuable and, and, uh, and helpful, mm-hmm. like I imagine, at least for the, for what the purposes are for those, um, for those people, for water people. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I do want to die. I do want to explore this concept though, that you, and, uh, you know, back, back up a lot. I have so many questions. The, you, you brought up, um, exploring, exploring breath work for the first time like diving into it and learning um to expand your consciousness or dive into the consciousness deeper and learn more about yourself and consciousness um very often is is one of those stigmatized terms it's the very it's like a woo-woo term because you you imagine a, a yogi who's super comfortable and talks like this real slow and and they talk about these wild things and they've probably done a ton of psychedelics which is cool and it's and i'm the people that this actually helps like your practice actually can help wouldn't usually gravitate toward talking about consciousness um some people like facts and data and science behind it. And that's, what's really amazing about the breath, the breath work, as we call it, because it's, it's what our body does. And it taps into these concepts that like consciousness. And um, I like how you've, you used um, the inception reference because it, it, it helps give a visual to it of going deeper and deeper down into the, the depths of your of your consciousness um but yeah some people mm-hmm. like the data and like the science and our body does these things what 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 could you tell us about about that aspect the the science aspect to accessing these uh these deeper networks and the data systems that you've been able to find what could you tell me about it that's what i'm curious about I love that 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 is what you have dissected from that because it's such a valid and important concept to explore. Teaching breathwork um, and even learning breathwork. I'll go back to the being being a student of breathwork, and mm-hmm. I continuously arrive in front of the either the sun or sun coming up, or you know the early morning um, uh, sensory overload, and, and being a student of the practice, being like, how can I learn more about this breathwork idea through how I interact with my environments and my realities? And when I became a student of breathwork or the education of breathwork, regulating our nervous system, um, there was a distinct line between uh, applied conscious breathing or the breathwork practice of science-based approach and spiritual spiritual based approaches Mm -hmm. and for me the the magic is the humble balance of both utilizing scientific protocols 
you know, mapping our biology, interacting with our physiology on a molecular level to create a spiritual experience. Um, you know, a spiritual experience could be anything. It's not, it would be to say that, you know, uh, a Christian uh, person is interacting with the higher source or God in a new profound way that they've never experienced before. Or it could be the single mum who's at home and, you know, really, really struggling to make ends meet, but uh, suddenly arrives to a space where she's completely void of ego and conditioning and has these aha moments. Or, you know, it could be the moment a dad decides that, you know, uh, his, his childhood conditioning uh, is is outdated and expired and actually impacting his life. These are the types of moments that are spiritual-based uh, moments uh, that are elicited from science-based principles. Mm. Now, we can, we can explore the breath and break it down. We, we know that an inhale, uh, the expansion of the abdomen or, or the abdomen wall with the ribs flaring, uh, that is oxygen coming in. And we could go into the characteristics of how you can do that. Uh, for this, this example, just imagine the inhale is either in through the nose or in through the mouth. Oxygen is coming in, right? And we're pulling that oxygen from the environments that we live in, uh, which is why higher levels or lower levels of oxygen actually play a role in our physiology, physiological responses. Now, within that exchange of oxygen coming in, carbon dioxide that has been built up in the body or built up in the tissues needs to leave the body. And so there needs to be a specific amount of oxygen uh, or saturation in the blood for carbon dioxide to jump off the tissue into the blood to be carried back out the body, which would be the exhale, either out the nose or out the mouth. Uh, and the characteristics are important when it comes to breathwork practice, but not, not necessarily important uh, to understand this example. Uh, and so in that space of understanding what happens in an inhale and an exhale, oxygen and, and carbon, we can start to look how the body will physiological respond to those measures. Now, if we increase the amount of breath or increase the depth of the inhale and we're doing it with an intention and through the mouth, we are essentially creating an, a wider portal for more oxygen to come into the system, not necessarily being delivered because our body might be upregulated to a point where um, the efficacy of oxygen being delivered to the tissue isn't uh, as it should be when downregulated. Um, and deeper and into the belly so that the lungs are filled in a way that they haven't from shallow or shorter breathing, uh, we can offload a lot more carbon dioxide. And when we get higher on oxygen, we can get to these non-ordinary states where different parts of our brain. So if we looked at the sectors of the brain, um, we talk about the limbic brain where our emotions, feelings, thoughts, memories, uh, all of that is in uh, intact there. Uh, higher consumptions of oxygen can start to activate and trigger those places. It can also activate and trigger the response of DMT being uh, uh, made in the brain or at least being released from the brain. Um, to where DMT interacting with us, as we know, you know, from Joe Rogan and a lot of psychedelic uh, environments or relationships with that, we can we can start to explore what DMT does to the body, but it creates these euphoric and, and fractal-like experiences. Mm. Right? And so At this concept levels, yeah. of, uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. This concept of, of, science-based breathwork or science-based data driven with breathwork um we can overthink it and we can mm -hmm. underthink it 
I have more benefit in underthinking it. Applying, and this is more relevant on the facilitator, the coach or the practitioner's level, knowing your science-based data so that you can elicit the different responses Mm -hmm. in order to work with your clients. Yeah, For the breather, uh, so to speak, not necessarily important. However, understanding how your body inhales and exhales and how your nervous system responds as a way that you inhale and exhale is important to know. If we we breathe faster and shorter and predominantly through the mouth, they're going to be some quite severe health regularities, especially if you're doing it every single day, subconsciously or unconsciously, right? If we are breathing through our mouth with intention, for a purpose, for an intent, um, we get a different response and we're not necessarily impacting our health if we're doing it uh, correctly. And so uh, what I would invite the listeners uh, to do when, when taking inventory of the characteristics of our breath is take note, even if it's just three times a day for two minutes, simply stop, close your eyes and take note of what your breath is looking like for you. And it's predominantly going to show up in the environments that you live in. Let's say the work, the work environment, right? Maybe it's a corporate setting if you live in a city. So that would be to say that you work in an office or something similar at a desk in front of a computer. And there's a lot going on there that we could come back a little bit later. But if you took two minutes to identify what does my breath look like? Am I breathing through the mouth? Am I breathing through the nose? Do I find it uncomfortable to breathe through the nose? Do I find it uncomfortable to breathe through the mouth? Is it short? Is it long? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Does my abdomen expand when I inhale? And does it fall and and compact when I exhale? And, And simply knowing a few of these things can give you so much data about what your nervous system is going through. And and you can start to mitigate or at least take a look into how you can mitigate the risk of stress, burnout, adrenal Mm. fatigue, um, cognitive blog or or, or, um, uh, like slow thinking patterns. Brain fog, It's blur. Right? Like simply knowing these characteristics of your breath can mitigate the risk of that. And, And taking two minutes, three times a day, can definitely get you to that point. And that is the surface level. Mm, I love that right, practice too. I love the, I love that you said, you said to check in, like give yourself space to check in on your breathing and, um, and, and give it a measurement, visualize it, see what it looks like and uh, <laughs> ask yourself those questions. And, and uh, yeah, you, you did, you said, um, that it's, it's important to know at least um, enough of the science, meaning the part where you know how your breathing works, like what happens when you breathe in, what happens when you breathe out, how it could affect the, uh, the, the nervous system responses, your state. And I like to, I like to think about it, um, almost as a, as like, that's the, the trigger that we're actually looking for. We're looking to when you know these things, it, it acts as a trigger to go into your breath practice and your breath work. And that's what's helped me a ton is knowing, getting to know the science behind this stuff and how our, how our nervous system works and how our, our uh, body responds to different types of breathing. You can, re- you can recognize when you're out of that 
state too. Like when you're in a adrenal fatigue or when you're in a, a fight or flight um, state or when you're for some reason tired or for some reason just getting agitated or antsy. And then you check in on the breathing and you notice, okay, well, my breathing is shallow, so let me change it. And when you know the, the signs, like if you know that these are caused by problemed breathing, then you, you're more likely to go into your practice or routine and you can start to make adjustments. That's what that's what's helped me a ton is, is being able to identify like what's going on in my body and then knowing that breathing could change that could actually help me feel better, like physically feel better, perform better. Um, you talked about Brian McKenzie before he has his, um, like his gears of breathing and, and you do that and you'll actually notice the differences in your performance. Um, but you could tune mm. into the, you can tune into those things when you know the, uh, when you know a little bit about the science behind it. And I mean, I remember, mm. I remember, uh, my first, um, encounter with breath work. I was, I was, it must've been 10, 11 years ago. And I was reading this book called the way of the peaceful warrior and, uh, fantastic book, but it talked about that book talked about um, being able to slow your breathing to a point where you can start to feel more of what's going on on the inside and what's like the physical sensations of your body. Um, and they, the book talked about in, in one instance, at least slowing your breathing down to where it took one minute to take a full breath. I remember being in a yoga class, like I was doing yoga a ton back then and, and trying that at the end during Shavasana. And I was able to slow my breathing down to just over a minute while, um, while in this meditative state, of course, because nothing's moving, you can shift all of your energy use to one thing like breathing. And uh, I fell asleep. That was cool. And I was, I felt like every, every detail of my body, I was able to feel like the hair on my arms. Um, like there was a subtle breeze from the air conditioning in the room. And I felt this like little motion on my arms and you, you could really tune in. I also felt like things on the inside, like, like in my stomach, like movement in my stomach that I otherwise would not have felt. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, that was an eye-opening moment to to identify these things and realize like, wow, there's there's a lot going on inside our bodies that we are totally oblivious to. And for the people sitting at desks all day, like people in the city, corporate corporate junkies, they're they're even more <laughs> oblivious because there's so much yeah. extra. There's even more input. There's the stuff from the outside world coming in. Not only the stuff that's crazy stuff going on in our heads. There's also the people around and the the environment. It's it's a really exciting. Um, it was an exciting revelation. Um, and and at the time in my life, I was uh, in this weird. I guess it was a weird place. I was just going 
going through life changes and trying to figure out what's next. Um, with that, though, I was curious, like, where, where were you in your personal life when you discovered breathwork? And, and what, what's it changed for you personally? What's it done um, to help you become a better person? If that's what it did. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely did. And I'll I'll add a little uh, a little bit of substance to what you were were just describing in that experience with, you know, stumbling across that, getting our breath to that point. And we all know this. We've all grown up with this. Take a deep breath. Right. Like this this term, I imagine, is universal across the world take a deep breath. And it's usually when we're in these upregulated states or what we call sympathetic dominance or sympathetic tone, where our nervous system is triggered into this fight or flight. And mind you, fight or flight doesn't exactly mean that every time you're in that state, you need to be fighting or, or flying away, right? Like fight or flight is the generic terms we utilize to say our system is upregulated and there is a certain amount of adrenaline and cortisol and a whole lot of other hormones that are being released into the system that get you a little stimulated, right? And like taking a deep breath is the generic way of saying stop, notice the intricacies of your breath, and then observe what your body is doing. And in that, you're flipping the switch. You're giving the brain a chance to go from this upregulated, I'm in flight or fight to problem solve thinking, oh, now I can really start to understand the parameters of what is going on. And in that taking a deep breath, you get the chance to regulate your nervous system. And and what Brian McKenzie would be uh, alluding to is shifting gears from a performance perspective. Like if we're going to, all right, max effort, um, 200 meter sprint, I imagine somewhere between 20 and 40 seconds for for the average human who's not an athlete and that max effort would have you breathing through the mouth because the the need for oxygen is a lot higher right the need for oxygen to the tissue to create energy or atp to produce the power and and output that you're producing uh, requires more oxygen so you'd have to breathe through the mouth some people can do it through the nose more highly trained but breathe through the mouth At the end of that 200 meter run in that 20 to 40 seconds, you would apply an even uh, or even 1.5 balanced ratio. So work output being one, recovery would be one to 1.5. And in that time, we would go through what the shifting gears is of uh, changing the way we breathe as if we're changing gears in a car. So we know that we're going to be upregulated breathing through the mouth, mouth, mouth. So we'd start with that. All right, start to focus on breathing through the mouth and then in and out of the mouth, but slowing it down and being more conscious of what my breath is doing. And then so on and so forth, you switch gears all the way until you get to nose, nose, in the nose, out the nose. Now, this this analogy here is not too dissimilar from people living in a concrete jungle or a corporate setting, right? The shifting gears is still relevant. Let's say you're sitting at the computer. You've just done two hours of solid work and the whole fucking system comes down and crashes. Chaos, right? We've, we've just experienced all of our work, not saved, go out the window. Mm. That is the same physiological response for that person that is not too dissimilar 
for the person doing the 200 meter sprint and then having to shift gears with the breath. Like it's the same thing. We're mm. just experiencing through different language or through different um, what we call environmental signaling, uh, which would go into the epigenetics of breath. So that's a little bit more for, for what you were just saying then about mm-hmm. like people regulating their nervous systems. And we all live in these environments and being signaled by these environments. And the system I utilize to teach my students is input system processing output information being received by the body and the nervous system, the black box theory, which is the body actually processing the information or doing something with the information that it has. And then the output being your actions or how you are interacting in your realities and in your lives. Um, and so we all, we do it consistently throughout the day, every single day, all the time. Now, to go to your question of where I was at, I just come out of one of the most hostile environments you can work in. And I don't mean hostile as in like being in the military hostile, you know, being shot at, or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an environment where there is a specific way of being, there is a specific way of learning. There is a specific way of interacting. And if you don't fit in any of those boxes, well, that's too fucking bad. You're not going to, you're not going to fit in. Right. And so in order to survive, quote unquote, in that environment, you need to do your utmost to try and fit into those three boxes. When I left the military, I relied on what I knew, the comfort zone of being a human, my education. I didn't want to explore another way of learning because for me, I was leaving a stable job, stable, stable income, stable housing, stable medical, and now going to an environment where I had to do all of that on your, on my own. And I mean, I was 16 and nine months when I joined the military, got out when I was 26, 27, something like that. And so all I knew was this organization, this environment. So when I got out and, and in the later part of my career in the military, I was a strength and conditioning coach. Australia, England, France, and New Zealand are the only ones with these, this job capability of being a strength and conditioning coach within the military framework. Uh, the US does not have it. They've got the team leaders and whatnot, or the, the PT leaders, but they don't have this capability. And so when I got out, I was like, all right, find a job doing PT or at least coaching somebody in strength and conditioning. I went and worked at F45 for a year and a half. Um, and then I went back to CrossFit and started coaching CrossFit again. Uh, but for me, uh, I was in an upregulated state by leaving the military because my body had no idea what the hell was going on. And so when I found breath work, and like I was saying at the start of this, this um, chat here, it was like I was finding that my body was like essentially getting a chance to go, <sighs> wow, we can stop, you know? And like that, that was such a profound thing because I'd spent so many years not allowing my body to do that. Did it change who I was? You bet your ass it did. I, I was not only leaving the military, I was transitioning out of that identity into a civilian identity. Very tough stuff. I was transitioning from being a father to two uh, children in a previous relationship um, to being a father of three after uh, a couple of miscarriages with my, my wife. Um, I was transitioning out of a 10 year marriage into another relationship. Um, I was transitioning out of having stable work. Like there were so many mm. things. And so 
did breathwork help? It <laughs> saved me, Matthew. It saved me. It, it offered me both a second chance and a new lens to view the world through, to, to perceive myself in my world. And I'm so grateful that the very first day that I decided I was going to use, utilize breath as a morning ritual, as a daily practice, I'm so grateful that I made that decision. And I would assert yeah. that the reason I made that decision is simply that because I did start breathing and becoming aware of how my nervous system and how my bio biology was interacting with this 3D experience that we are taking part in, right? Um, and, and that's, that is what drives me. That's what drives me to want to tell more people about it, have more people come and experience it. Mm. Like, because that experience for me was so profound. It was so life-changing that I imagine everybody would love a second chance or a new lens to view their worlds through. I imagine that everybody would, would want that to some extent. doesn't have to be the mm. same, but I imagine want that. I, 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 I imagine that there's a lot of people in the position you were in when you were exiting, or let's say right, right as you were going to exit the military. And like you said, it's an environment that is hostile. And there's a lot of people in that, in a similar environment. And to make it really, really clear, like what you're talking about. So the listeners can relate as much as possible that it's, it's dealing with the people around you, the, the work environment, the routine of it, the strictness, the discipline of it. And most people go into this voluntarily with great intentions, like thinking it's going to be this amazing experience and journey and it's life-changing. And, uh, and the military is just one example of, of that. You can find it in in any in corporate America, for sure, mm. um, you could find it in in most uh, law enforcement. And there's a there's I talk about this I've talked about this before on the podcast. There's this statistic I learned recently, a couple of years back, and I, I was doing some work with the New York City Police Department um, with their health and wellness um, initiatives, and I learned that. The average, the average life expectancy post-retirement, after retirement, is seven years for a New York City police officer. And, and get this, man, most, I, know, I know people, cops, people in the NYPD who, who went in at 21. They, they, they can retire at, after 22 and a half years. Like, retire. So 40, 43 and a half, 44 years old on the young end. And, uh, and their average, the average expectancy is, is only seven years. And, and now granted, a lot of people in, in these jobs do tend to stay longer. There's benefits to that. Um, but also the, the, you talked about identity shift before, like, like that's what happens when, when you do the same thing, <laughs> every day for 22 mm. and a half years, 10 years, whatever it is. And you, you do wear an identity, you wear it on your chest, you, you know, in the, 
NYPD wear a badge on your chest. You carry a, a gun. In the military, you wear fatigues and you and you have a name tag. And a flag. You wear and a flag. flag. And it, yeah, that becomes your identity. You are a you're a soldier. You are a you know whatever it is you are in your role at, at your job, and you wear that identity. And you live by it because with every identity, there's also habits that come along, behaviors that are expected of you. And I imagine that's what that is, what the box you're trying to fit in is the expected behaviors. But, but you end up shedding the identity after so long. And, and yes, you can take a deep breath and you also look back at your life. Like you started at 16 and a half or so, and, and that was all you knew, but you look back and you're like, what? fuck do i do now like what 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 is what am i who am i now Mm -hmm. and and the fact that you can and and that that stuff causes it's constant upregulation. we're living in this state that humans are only meant to live in for so long or spend so much time in like moments and then get out of it like because we're running from danger but but some people spend you know literally years in the fight or flight and that that just drains the body it causes a lot of stress like physical stress on your your heart and your your nervous system and everything yeah it's it's so important man to to get it out there and i love that you've been able to like change your life because of it and it saved you and i and i imagine you're you're doing uh, a lot for for the people you're helping like you're really you're really helping the 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 issue and and the opportunity too is finding the people who aren't really sure yet they're not really um there they're not at that point where they know they need to switch where they know they need to just take a deep breath (laughs) well you utilize you utilize the best example matt like um Law enforcement, at least we can we can categorize as uh, first responders if we utilize that terminology. Military and first responders, right? These environments, and this is where um, you know Mark England's work is so potent. The the language and the spells that are cast through epigenetics and words and vibration in those environments is some of the most hypnotizing magical powerful spells cast this side of you know jupiter and the reason (laughs) i say that (laughs) the reason i say that is on average we spend upwards of three months in basic training or first responding training right Uh, most of the time more in that time you are consistently told and i mean consistently every single day at every moment you are consistently told you are more than the average civilian you are higher and more important than the average civilian why because you are going into the front line to protect your country from xyz that's one of the first spells that are cast the second one is the level of discipline that is bestowed upon the demographic or bestowed upon the environment that says you are going to be this disciplined because all your other habits and behaviors are not going to serve you in this environment. And so this is how you need to be. That's the precedence. So instantly your nervous system is starting to be like, okay, 
this is who we are. This is who we're becoming. We are this person. And then you have the, the interaction of your uh, leading staff or directing staff that says, uh, you know, uh, this is the standard. This is what you need to keep doing. And so there's this physical aspect of knowing how to behave in this environment. And then there's these words that are being thrown at you. And mind you, words carry vibration, right? The highest measured uh, vibration for a word uh, is joy. And we could go into how um, the Japanese scientists that uh, experimented with water droplets and speaking to the water droplets, how they responded and created different shapes, joy being the highest one, uh, and then anger, depression, sadness being the lowest level. And so our words are carrying like a, a level of energy as well to which our biology and our physiology is going, oh, okay, that's information. I'm going to take that in, right? And so spending time in these environments, you are essentially hypnotizing or at least putting your subconscious mind under a spell for this amount of time. When you leave that environment, not only are you transitioning out of that in knowing who you were in what environment and how you were, because you know you got to rock up at work at this time, you know what's expected of you in your job because you get reported on four times of the year. You either get promoted if you're a good performer or you don't. You get you know, in trouble if you do bad things or you get rewarded if you do great things. Like you know who you are in these environments. The civilian world doesn't tell you that. You got to do that shit on your own. And so when you leave this environment of being under the spell or being hypnotized for so long, you're not only learning how to become a new person, you are completely eradicating the old version so that you don't operate from that space. And so when you tell me that statistic for the NYPD, mm -hmm. that's actually quite surprising that it's that long because mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, in the work that I'm doing, uh, my predominant, uh, or primary focus has been on veterans and first responders uh, with the work that I do. Um, but I've seen within a matter of three to six months, people living on the street, people mm -hmm. with failed relationships, people like suicidal, having very, very bad thoughts and, and being in very bad places because they're struggling to regulate their nervous system enough so that they can understand the value of who they are in themselves because they've just had somebody tell them for so long and they've got to tell themselves mm. right and veterans and first responders um you know the work that they do they stay in for so long it's yes they do love their job but they love it because they don't know anything else or if they do know something else it wasn't of as much value to them as this military or first responder gig is and so when they stay in mm. for much longer there's benefits to staying in but it's because if I stop, I know what happens. I've seen it. Like you only have to be in the military to know that the, the statistics for veterans committing suicide is so high that you're like, well, I ain't fucking leaving the military. If I leave the military, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be suicidal. Mm -hmm. We might not thought, but in like the the environment is signaling that thought because that's what we're seeing. And so the comfort of staying in these environments is a discomfort and of detriment to the system because you're staying related state you don't know you're upregulated it's just that you've become so conditioned or so tolerant of the level of upregulation that now your new level of upregulation <laughs> is gnarly you know and you and think you're a so superhuman too <laughs> right and you're, right. you're you're like you said 
bell casted to believe that too and that that um be being told and being given that identity of being higher than the average person than the civilians mm-hmm. is it, it it why would you want to leave why would you want to drop back down to that level and when that does happen you know okay i used to be up here and now i'm down here except we know like that's that's not actually true it's just what you've been told all these years to keep you um to keep you part of the machine like working part of the, as part of the machine <laughs> obedient yeah you're just told like you're on this up row and then they keep giving you they keep promoting you every six months to a year and giving you new new titles to make you think you're actually moving up the the chain of command the ladder and yet and yet you get out and you're just another guy right and that's really yeah. cool though though that you know those are the people you're helping and i imagine it's it would be so valuable man to to get to them before they leave, to get to them before they get out, that integration um, in, back into society and, and showing them that, hey, it's, it's okay, it's okay. There's, you have skills, like the skills you, you've used in the military, like you could do anywhere in any job, you've just done it wearing a uniform. So you can definitely, you're definitely valuable elsewhere. Is that something you're working on now? Therein lies the obstacle is creating that or building that bridge for veterans and first responders to transition. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard to go into an environment and tell somebody, hey, this is a potential risk because all they know is they're this bulletproof superhuman that they've been told for the last 20 <laughs> plus years. And here you come telling them that, hey, this next stage of your life when you leave or at least you're transitioning out of this environment, shit's going to be really hard and you're going to need some help. Nobody wants to hear that, especially this type of person. And the reason I know that is because I was that type of person. I Mm -hmm. work with those, you know, to tell somebody not that they're wrong, but what they're hearing is that you're telling them they're wrong and you're not telling them they're wrong. You're simply saying, Hey, in order, to mitigate the risk of you being unemployed, you being homeless, you being suicidal, you being the the next statistic for PTSD or depression or XYZ. In order to mitigate that risk, here are some tools and tactics. Now, for the most part, we are moving into a generation where these people are seeing it and they're witnessing it. Because like mm-hmm. I said to you, you're seeing the statistics from inside. You're seeing the constant rise of veterans being suicidal, unemployed, homeless. Like we see that regularly now. And so people are going, okay, well, all right. So if I'm going to leave, what am I going to do? Okay. I'm giving it some thought before I leave this environment, this organization, what do I need to do in order to shift across? And we are seeing an increase in, you know, veterans and first responders reaching out uh, both for support from professionals like myself I have a very good buddy here in Australia who runs an organization called Survive the Thrive Nation, where he's created uh, a clinically tested eight-week program that helps veterans transition. And his slogan is, they train you to go to war, we train you to come home, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've got my does that. Um, We got our mutual buddies over there in the States, the Rising Warrior, Lance Davis and, and Sean Lazio doing, you know, that work over there. And so we are seeing an increase of the organizations both asking for help 
Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing uh, a lot of veterans first responders reaching out saying, hey, I need some help, which is amazing. That it's a win-win being able to build a system like this because we're both helping the human. That's my priority. But I also see the organizations knowing that they're helping themselves because if we can mitigate the risk of veterans and first responders transitioning unsuccessfully, if we can mitigate that risk, then they save money because they we know the story about the VA. Even mm-hmm. civilians, the VA and the D- and DVA uh, at times, right? And so the organizations know that if, if we are able to provide this support or build this system within the infrastructure itself, they know they're going to be saving money. And so it's a win-win situation. It's just a matter of getting it out there, providing mm. the education, saying, hey, we're not telling you you're wrong. We're simply saying, as you need this, here it is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you bring up the, the VA system because I know some people um, who have been removed from the military for a, over a decade after years and years of service and just now are going back and getting help. And this is because they finally built up the, the guts <laughs> to be vulnerable and ask and ask for that kind of help. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, the system, the system, at least here and what I see, and I have friends, so many friends in the military, the system is just broken and there's a lot of people in it. There's, there's a lot of people going through it, um, who probably didn't give it much thought when they first signed up, they first enlisted, uh, and now they're, they're essentially stuck or, um, they're stuck because they have to be out, they can no longer serve for whatever reason. And that's, um, it's a really sad thing. And, and I love, man, I love that that's your mission. And um, I'm happy to be able to, to help you with that. Before we, uh, before we the finish question this that, up though, what's up? Does, does the problem or the source lie in that organization or does it start back at the beginning of the identity and archetypes of masculinity and femininity and then is it passed and fed Mm. through these organizations well here's uh here's my man we're going to a rabbit hole but here's my my thing and i've spoken (laughs) about this and i've talked about this with every guest on the podcast that i've had on recently and it's my theories about education and Mm. and 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 chill and children and and my my you know ron my 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 co-host who's on vacation today, guys, sorry. Um, he had, he had brought up this idea of, you know, getting ahead of the problem. And, and so we, we brainstormed, we contemplated this a bit. How do we, how do we get ahead of the problem? Well, if the problem is, you know, the toxic masculinity, the identity issues and, you know, the, well, that starts started for me when I was six, seven years old, <laughs> Okay, well, how, what do we do with the education system? Well, we take radical action. Uh, yeah, it's man, <laughs> we're we're doing it too. We're, we are we are going to be uh, exploring that and tugging on that thread a lot more over the next uh, over the coming years, and uh, and I imagine it's going to be fun. And mm. and but that but that's really where the where most of the change is made. It's made it's it's getting. Um, in front of the issue, right? Bef- you know, and, and addressing it um, before it happens. It's a behavioral. Um, a, it's a systemic behavioral change that has mm-hmm. to happen. 
Great. Um, I do want to, uh, I want to ask about your, your upcoming undertaking that you're starting in September. This, and, and uh, you, I'll let you talk about it, but it's, this is, when I first like saw this, I was looking at your Instagram and like saw, I watched the video you put out and, and uh, man, it just blew my mind. And it's something that I was like, that's something I would do. That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then having some conversations with you, uh, very little about this, but when you talked about how you're, how using your conscious applied breathing is going to assist you and, and propel this, this journey, it, it, that's, that's what really got me fascinated and wanting to think more about this and dive into the science of it. But could you, could you just explain what you're going to do and, and that part and the, the, how does breathing help you? Like, yeah, go, just go for it. And I'm really excited to learn. I am. I will be taking off on the 7th of September, 2022 from a place called Margaret river in Western Australia. Now it's not the most Western point, uh, but it's the most accessible and longest distance across Australia to start at that point. And so I'll be running a marathon a day until I arrive on the East coast of Australia in a township called Byron Bay, which is the most Eastern point. The distance in between is four and a half thousand kilometers uh, and I'll be running assisted by uh, the, the video team, so the, the filming team. Um, I have a nutritional coach, uh, a Czech practitioner, and I also have a PA team as well who will be uh, helping support, along with uh, my good buddy, Dane, who runs the Survive the Thrive Nation uh, organization. And the ambition here is to film a documentary that both uh, gives a microphone to some of the uh, some of the veterans and first responders across Australia who are struggling, or at least have been struggling, and found this work. Give them a microphone to tell their story, so that the rest of the world get a better understanding of what's happening on Ground Zero, not what the news is telling you, not what social media is telling you, what they are telling you straight from their mouth. The second point that here is to create an opportunity to build more exposure for more veterans and more first responders from all over the world to come and take part in this educational framework that we are building. And that is exactly what we just discussed, creating a, a bridge for them to walk from the front gate of their base or their station in and into their next life, what that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. We're building a, a a bridge right there for them to transition uh, successfully. And what that encounters is first and foremost, going back through their career, unpacking their career. We do this through a myriad of mediums. So we utilize breath work to create these non-ordinary states so that they can go back and we can start to work through the shit that's had them triggered trauma, if you will. And I won't go into the rabbit hole of trauma just yet, because I know we're going to do another episode. We can talk about further there, but <laughs> We can create an opportunity for them to revisit the trauma that exists in their body that has manifested physically. In that, we get a better, um, a better direction forward because we have what Einstein would refer to as you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. So we have the new mind. We have the new mind so malleable and ready to go. 
we get them to have a better uh, perspective of what they want to achieve out of this next chapter of their life. After the breath work, after the vision casting, after the, the habit change and lifestyle coaching, we then move into the transition part, searching for work for them, or at least a new educational part for them to take part in. So essentially doing recruiting for this person or providing that support. Um, housing. In the military and, and in some parts of service life uh, within a, the first responder world, um, organizations uh, offer up uh, subsidized rent or housing to where you are, get, you are given you know, um, allotments for your first house or to buy a house because mm-hmm. you're so close to the base and effectively increasing capability. And so transitioning them into allowing uh, or, or getting them uh, the opportunity to get into housing. That's not military or first responder related so there's no stress there support for their families support for their children's education providing support there and then also the other side of this uh, ambition is to uh, start to bring people off the streets i i my my thing my biggest thing that when i think about this project when i'm out there running doing the kilometers uh, for training I'm thinking about all the people that are homeless right now, the people who don't have food, the people who don't have shelter, the people who are wearing the same clothes for the last year. And they've spent it over a decade supporting this country, not, not protecting this country, supporting this country. And here they are on the streets because they didn't have that bridge to walk over. Mm. I want to help us get off the street. I want to put them back into housing. I want to get them back into the, the system of support that we're facing. And so as I'm running, the run is the metaphor. When I left the military, my body was pretty beat up physically and emotionally. It was beat up. Now, I was retired at 27 years old and I was told by 35 years old, you will never be able to run again. You won't be able to play with your kids like you, like you want to because your body is going in this direction. When I told you that my body was healing or at least I was experiencing these transcendental experiences from my breath work that I was practicing, I was going into a realm of subconsciousness that was offering my body the chance to heal. My spine was healing. My hips were healing. My tissue was healing. Mm. So the run is the metaphor. It's the big finger to the system to say, fuck you, I'm doing it, you know, because I can. Now in the last five years, I've, well, up until recently where I was put on a course of penicillin for my burnt foot, um, I'd not taken any medical intervention, okay? No drugs, no pharmaceutical products, no um, visits to the doctor or anything like that. And I'm not, look, I'm not, in, this is not what I'm encouraging people to do. If you need medical uh, support, you seek that straight away. Uh, but what I'm saying here is that I took it, my healing journey into my own hands. And with conscious applied breath work, I've been able to heal physical ailments such as rheumatoid arthritis through my hips, spine, and my ankles. I've been able to heal tears that usually require an operation, both shoulders, both knees. I've reduced inflammation in both knees where I had Baker's cysts forming. Um, In terms of my emotional uh, ailments from PTSD to depression to mood disorder, I I don't imagine you can ever remove what the Western society has created PTSD, depression. These are these are these are titles and things we get mm-hmm. to put into the material world so that we can better understand how the human brain is working. 
I don't imagine you can eradicate that things. What I can say is that I have full conscious awareness and control over my moods now and the things that used to trigger me or at least set me off into those moments don't anymore. Mm. And so through this applied breath work, I've been able to get my body to a place where I can run. I am on the ground with my kids. I carried all four of my children, 10, six, three, and one year old on my back to the beach as a 33 year old male that was told I would never be able to do it by 35. And so with the documentary that we're filming, um, we're going to be doing workshops as well, seminars across Australia, where I'm going to invite military veterans and first responder veterans to come and join us in this experience. And we're going to release it so that, you know, people get a chance to decide for themselves, right? They get a chance to go, okay, yes, I'm leaving the military or yes, I'm leaving the service. What am I going to do next? Well, Will's doing this thing or Dane's doing this thing or Lance is doing this thing. I'm going to go do that because I know that is going to help me not get put on a course of antidepressants and then put into the system and told that the VA will support them. And it never does not get told that they're going to go into housing where they spend the next two years, three years on the streets. Not that we want to remove that risk. And so the documentary is to, um, you know, put that out there for the world to hear and see and, and witness. Man, I imagine that planning this, coming up with the idea was profound for you. <laughs> and and if I know you're, you're very much getting to know you over the past couple of months. We're very, we're very similar in, in the way we think. And whenever there, some crazy idea comes into my head, nothing's going to stop it. And, mm -hmm. and, and you start you start exploring. Okay. Yeah. You, you do the what ifs and something like that is, is amazing um, to, to have decided on. And, and the reasoning is, is uh, man, it's, it speaks to me for sure. I'm really excited to, to see where this takes you and where, what that journey does for you over the course of that, what is it, 3,000 miles or something, I don't know, my math, 30, 3,300 miles or something like that. What is it going to take in your research and opinion and um, to make the change that you're trying to make here to what's what's the outcome well here's a better question what's the outcome that you're really hoping for like if you were to put a measure if you were to measure it and put something numbers to it or put a you know have a, a picture painted of the end result when this is as successful as you want it to be what is it going to take to get there and what what is that outcome it's going to take persistence on, on my part and the people who are supporting me and the people I'm supporting as well, it's going to take persistence and it's going to take the consistency of pushing it in people's faces. As I said to you, the, the, and it's no coincidence that the work that we're doing isn't politely received to the people who are already in these environments. And it's just the same to say on the large scale as well. Like when we, when we deliver this to the world, it's not going to be received politely 
because people start missing out on big conglomerates and organizations that have invested in these environments start missing out on money. These people don't want to miss out on money, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're as long, like, it sounds bad, but as long as their pockets are filled, everybody's happy. Now, if we can decrease homelessness, suicides, um, fuck the list goes on in terms of mental health, physical health. If we can decrease this current statistic by 50% by implementing said products or said services, then within, within the next two to three years, which is, that's, that's how fast it can occur, Mm -hmm. right? This rolling out, it can occur within, you know, 12 to 24 months simply by people going, you know what? Yes. Let's start actually helping the people. Let's mm-hmm. help and at the risk of these things growing any bigger and larger because it's, it's, it's detrimental to the investors, detrimental to the organization. They invest in us to do the job, do the work. Yet when we leave, they're continually investing in people to invest in supporting the people that have left the organization, the mm-hmm. VA, DV might be. So we're in debt by being in debt to these people who have served the country. And so it's, it's detrimental for them not to take action, right? It's, and, and like I said to you before, it's, it's a win-win. The people get support and the people whose pockets are getting filled still get their pockets getting filled. That's an unfortunate reality that we're going to live in. The benefit is that our people are going to be supported and those statistics will come down. It's going to take consistency from all of us spreading it. Myself getting on podcast, Dane getting on podcast, you know, Lance and, and Sean doing their podcast and, and, you know, people like Mark Bledsoe who are doing work around this as well, mm-hmm. getting platforms for people to speak from and being able to get this work out there is what, what it's going to take for this, you know, for this thing to grow, grow legs and walk on its own. So consistency and persistence for sure. In terms of investment, I don't know, Matt, like I'm funding this documentary myself, you know, mm. I don't even know how much it's going to cost. <laughs> I really, don't. I have a page that is not receiving any donations. I mean, I haven't actively put that out there because there's a lot going on behind the scenes in order to, to have this thing occur. But yeah, I don't know what it's going to take to invest, but I don't really care either. Mm-hmm. If I can if put at it so that this these statistics come down, that's all that matters to me, man. And yeah, and I know that the persistence of this message and and this message is out there because you know as well as I do what your aim like your goal and your what you're aiming to do is not new. It's not something that um, that hasn't been done before. There's there's been organizations assisting veterans for forever Mm -hmm. and uh and the even even the the awareness of it is widespread and and household like people know certain statistics about veteran suicides right people know about it and and yet all they'll do is 22 push-ups or Mm. (laughs) or text their buddy when they when they uh get to visit on their uh their leave from the military like hey how you doing it would be great to see you oh maybe next time and then maybe they don't ever see them again and 
that's there, the awareness is there and you're putting out all of your hard work and, and your effort. Um, I imagine at some point with your persistence and with your drive and this mission being so close to home for you, it's, it's going to be well supported. It's going to be fully supported for sure. What's the, yeah, I'd agree. what's the best way we can assist you? What's the best way people can assist you? People listening. Yeah, I, I always invite people, however it lands for them and however they feel called to support mm -hmm. um, is the best way. You know, um, it's funny you say the 22 push-ups. I mean, it's something my wife always says is, you know, great. Great that you're doing 22 push-ups in 22 days or whatever it is, but also while you're in this headspace or while you're in this vibration of bringing awareness to this, this cause or this, this mission, do something extra, go find a veteran, right? Mm -hmm. Go find a veteran, simply stop and say, Hey, thank you. Thank you for your service. Is there a way I can be of service to you? Right. 22 push-ups is great. But if you reach out to a veteran and say, Hey, how can I help you personally? Mm -hmm. I guarantee you it's going to create a much larger, um, cascade of events than than 22 push-ups will and so mm. you know, anybody listening and, and yourself i would invite you to you know however it lands for you however you feel that you could support somebody do that you know if you can't financially support a fund a, a charity or an organization that's fine reach out to a veteran say hey can i take you for a coffee or hey can i um can i get your groceries for you or do you need support in this or you know, even an energetic exchange, if you're, you know, an osteo or a physiotherapist or something like that, and there's veterans out there that are struggling physically, reach out and say, hey, would you like a free consult? Can I do some body work on you to help you? You know, that's what it's going to take. Mm. You know, I'm in this nomadic journey that I'm doing around Australia at the moment. I live on the road uh, with my family in a caravan. Uh, now that some of the restrictions have been lifted here in Australia, I now have the opportunity to each uh, township that I stop in to host an event or at least go grab a handful of veterans, take them for lunch and sit around and talk, right? We can talk about anything. We can talk about war stories if it needs to happen. But the main thing is somebody is coming to knock on their door and say, hey, do mm. you need something? Because I'm here to help. And so I have that opportunity to do that now, which is fantastic. I'm excited about that. Um, my views on the on the the current state of the world are irrelevant mm -hmm. it's important people who are participating feel safe in doing so and so that's what we've been waiting for i love it and we'll you know we'll obviously through this podcast and uh, a lot of what you said will be uh you know we'll we'll clip some things together and make something nice people can share um we are fortunate um in this age to be able to just hit the share button in our entire mm. social circle can see what we are thinking about and caring about and uh and 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 yeah if if, if you're gonna do anything do do something kind for a person who's who's in need who's uh, who's been of service and um you never know how far that'll go it's the best thing you can do man just choose kindness my, my mm -hmm. good friend straight <laughs> There's choose kindness. Yeah. Everything. 
so we talked about we talked about breath work we talked about you and your journey and your your incredible undertaking and your mission what's uh what's something you want to leave people with today i've been really uh influenced of late to when i when i play the curiosity game with people um I'm revisiting it. I'm doing Benjoy's program at the moment. We're playing the curiosity game with people. And for those listening, curiosity game is about uh, engaging in conversation with people that you may or may not know and, and simply asking questions and being inquisitive about them and not necessarily waiting for your chance to speak and speak about you, uh, which is paradoxical considering I'm on a podcast doing that, <laughs> but playing the game, I've been uh, influencing of late, um, this notion for people to ask what their relationship is with themselves, right? Like we get so busy and so muddled up as, um, as, as, as it were to, we get so muddled up that we, we forget to check in with what our relationship is with ourselves. Do I like who I am? Do I love who I am? Do I love the life that I'm living? And what can I do about that? And, and so I want to leave the listeners today an opportunity for you to both stop and breathe and, and listen into how your body is breathing and ask yourself those questions. Do I love who I am? And do I love the life that I'm living in? And if not, how can I change it? Mm. You know, I'm here to support. If anyone feels uh, like they need to, to reach out or they're like, wow, you might know, know something to help with this, reach out. You know, you can, you can find my, my, my link, my handle. I imagine you'll link to that Matt, mm -hmm. in the show notes. Yeah. Reach out and ask. I'm always happy to guide people through that space. And I know you are as well, Matthew. Um, it's some of the amazing work that you do with that. So that's what I'll leave them with. Beautiful. Will, thanks. Thanks for uh, finally getting to, to sit down and record this. And yeah, I'm looking forward yeah, to, uh, to doing another one. Uh, we're going to get to see each other in a couple months. We could do one live. That'd be great.